I do think there is something to be said for spending money in your 20s and 30s on things you will not be able to spend on later in life. Trips with friends, backpacking, whatever it may be. At the same time, I'm less concerned with the amount you save and invest. I'm more focused on the habits you build. When I was studying psychology and persuasion, I was also learning about money. And when you understand both of those things, you start to realize that the emperor really has no clothes. So then what do you say to people who then don't want confrontation? They don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't live their fullest life because they just, they don't know how to have money conversations. Let's say my boss wasn't just sitting in that chair right there. <laughs> Are we about to do a negotiation for real right now? No, it's all hypothetical. How can someone negotiate their salary? All right, I'll tell you. All right, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Business of Influence. And today's guest, you're going to recognize, you've probably read his book or seen his show, um, and he will definitely teach us to get rich, right? We need that. Yeah, he better. Yeah, yeah, you need that. Yeah, he is the star of Netflix's <laughs> new show, How to Get Rich, where he dives into the lives of everyday people and teaches them how anyone can live a rich life. So one of my first questions to him is going to be, please define rich, because when I think rich, I think, you know, yachts and Ferraris. Um, he's the New York Times bestseller and the host of the IWT podcast. Um, so today we're going to talk to him about his backstory, right? Common financial mistakes that young adults make and how you can live your rich life. So Ramit Sethi, welcome to the business of influence. Woo! Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Let's have That's some fun. Reason. So first question, and I have a hundred, uh, hundred of them, but just because I just said I was going to ask this, um, what does rich mean to you? Well, what does it mean to you? You said yachts. Well, yeah, because you, 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 know, you have your book, you know, I'll teach you to be rich. Yeah. The show is how to get rich. Mm -hmm. You have this word rich so yeah. much. And I think the stereotype of rich is, you know, a super wealth, right? That guy's wealthy. He could spend money and not even have to look at the price. I think for a lot of us, the word rich is really loaded. It's the idea of being chauffeured around in a limo and sitting at a 24 person table alone being served. And I always laugh because that's Hollywood. Rich can be traveling for two months a year. Rich can be buying a beautiful cashmere coat. Rich can be picking up your kids from school every afternoon. So you define rich and your rich life is yours. Okay. So is it, but is it rich with money, rich with time, rich with happiness? Yes. All the above, right? All yes all and yes. I think it, it goes down to a rich mentality, right? Yeah. Well, extent. you got the money is a small but important part of it. So I know school teachers who are living a rich life makes perfect sense. They're very happy in what they do. And I know entrepreneurs making $4 million a year who are living their rich lives, probably different, probably different things. And that's totally fine. Many of us think that rich is this rigid view that if we're not doing that, we're failing. I totally disagree. Mm -hmm. Ramit, before we get into your backstory, I have a bone to pick with you. Please, let's go. I binged your Netflix show. Okay. And at like maybe, let's say 3 a.m., I DM'd you. He didn't respond. Whoa! I was, I like that. DM shame I right there. I don't respond to naked pictures on Instagram. Oh, that's fine. You send those to everybody. Know, it's just I know, inappropriate. I know, I know. <laughs> but I like, I, I was like, hey man, big fan of your show. You really exposed a lot of my financial terrible habits. Oh, I love that. And I was just sitting there waiting and nothing. Well, now no, that I no know, response. now that I know, I'm going to go back and find it, but I appreciate you watching. No, dude, that's it's cool. cool. What were some of your mistakes that you learned about? I don't think we have oh, enough time no, to go no, through we them all. Let's go through all of Adrian's financial mistakes. I do have a question. We'll save it for later and it's a hypothetical, but we'll jump into that later. He's going to send you his bank statements. <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to know everything about you. Like, how did you 
where are you from? Why are you here? How did you get here? How are, how are you the rich guy? I felt like I was always absent the day they taught people certain things in life. Yeah. Like everyone seemed to know how to deadlift. And I'm like, how'd you guys all learn that? Where did everybody learn that, that I just wasn't there? And so when it came to physical fitness, we just didn't talk about those things in my house growing up. So when it came to money though, it just kind of clicked. My dad encouraged me to open up a custodial Roth IRA when I was 14 or 15 years old. Damn. I took some of my scholarship money for college and I invested it in the market. This is like 1999, 2000. When everybody thinks they're a genius, they go, let me pick these stocks. And I lost half of that money right away. And so when I was studying psychology and persuasion, I was also learning about money. And when you understand both of those things, you start to realize that the emperor really has no clothes. That most of the advice out there, see, see if any of this sounds familiar. Uh, cut back on lattes. Uh, you can't buy new clothes, new jeans, new suits, no nothing until you're 90 and maybe, just maybe, you can enjoy your money then. I'm sitting there saying, first of all, I don't want to live that kind of life. And second of all, that's totally ineffective advice. Yeah. I know because I understand human psychology. So I started developing my own system for my own money. I started testing it with my friends in college. Eventually, nobody in college wants to learn about money, even my friends, especially my friends. They're like, this guy just drinks beer. That's what I want to hang with him with. I certainly don't want to learn about personal finance. And so for the next five years, I started writing a blog, treated it like an experimental lab, and eventually built this system and philosophy that's really simple for your money. Low-cost investing, automate most of your money decisions so you spend less than an hour a month, and then get on with your life. Yeah. That's a rich life for a lot of people. So did your parents teach? Because my parents said, here, son, here's a piggy bank. Put your money in here. Oh, yeah. How does your Roth account doing that you set up when you're 14? I don't know what that means. Like, oh, that's yeah. French to me. But like, did, you, <laughs> did your parents like instill financial, I guess, wherewithal? Yeah. Wherewithal? Well, okay, so my parents uh, immigrated from India. So they taught me some really valuable lessons. You know, growing up here, they had four kids. Yep. And so my mom stayed at home and my dad was working. And so- Part of what we learned was simply frugality just because we had to. Yep. So for us, we didn't eat out except once every six to eight weeks and only when we had a coupon. So that's, that's what I knew. That was normal to me. The idea that you can go out to a restaurant without a coupon and everyone gets their own drink is like shocking to me at the age of 20. Like who does this? <laughs> and the idea that you can order appetizers, mind-blowing. So that actually turned out to be really important in my development. When I moved to New York and when I started visiting New York, to me, a rich life in my early 20s was to be able to order appetizers. That's yeah. it, 10 bucks, maybe 12 bucks, because I couldn't afford to as a kid. And of course, then it became to be able to take a taxi if I'm going to a meeting on a hot August day. What is that, 15, 20 bucks? And eventually my rich life got bigger. But what you notice about that is that sometimes a rich life can be very small, but meaningful. And also your rich life changes depending on the season of life. So maybe it's going out six times a week, which I wanted to in my 20s. Right. I wanted to do that. Great. I love it. If you want to go out and you can afford it, you should. Those are amazing times in your life. Maybe it's having a family and spending time with your children, uh, sending them to a certain camp. Fantastic. And maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's taking care of an elderly parent. All these things can be benefited 
by careful thinking and also using money to live the rich life. So I actually want to go back a little bit when you were talking about your parents, because I feel like our perceptions of money are very much based about the culture that we grew up in. And Adrian, you, you grew up in a Hispanic household, right? Yep. So in our culture, money is seen as an evil object many times, something yeah. that leads to bad things. Yeah. How did you learn? What resources, who did you pay attention to, to be able to change your perception of money to understand that it is something that allows you to live your life freely and make you happy? Okay. They don't teach that stuff in high school, No, right? they don't. Well, they no. don't teach it anywhere. And a lot of people who grew up in America, uh, their parents, they, they say this and, and people will tell me, they remember their parents saying, we can't afford it. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk about money in this family. Mm -hmm. Ryan, any of these come to mind for you? No. Ryan's like, no. <laughs> what do they say in your family? Save your money for college. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Which is and it? If you want it, go earn it, oh. buy it yourself. Okay. That's okay. Stuff like so, that. Very interesting. Go save it. That's a good one. Or you can't afford it. Like my dad would say that to me a lot, you know, because I would see my parents, like they had a lot of stuff and, you know, they would, they would do cool things and then it would always be a, you can't afford this. <laughs> like, but, but I'm your son. They're like, do you have a job? Exactly. And that and? was like a, that was a, that sucked. So the saving one is a good one I love because it's good advice, but it stops being good advice at a certain point. Sure. So you should save, yes. Definitely you should save. And then what? That's most of the advice we get in America. Save, save, save. And no one ever tells you what happens after that. Okay, I have money in a savings account. And, and that's it? Yeah. That's the rest of my life? They, uh, parents rarely talk about investing because they don't know how. And so we can't blame them, but- we can appreciate the knowledge they gave us and then learn more. So if you're reading my book or listening to my podcast, you're hearing me speak to couples, real couples, where they're actually pulling out their financial documents and sharing them with me. And we're talking about how did they grow up. Your childhood has a huge influence on you and many of us don't even realize. So this is what happens very commonly. People grow up, they hear, you can't afford it. We can't afford it. No way, no way. And they hear that one time, 10 times, 10,000 times. They start to really believe it. They go on, they live in New York maybe or wherever, they get a good job, they save some money and they agonize over everything. They feel guilty. They still travel the same way they did when they were 21 years old, even though they have way more money. And they keep saying, I'm afraid. I don't know if this money's gonna run out. I need to save more. And what I love to do is to help unpack that and say, okay, what do you remember growing up? And we trace it back. And it's mom or dad or an uncle saying, we can't afford that. Yeah. That is where you start to be able to change the future trajectory of your life and perhaps even your children's lives. So what should you do with your money? If you've saved up money and you're 21 years old or you're 30 years old mm -hmm. and you've been so afraid of money your entire life, what, what do you do with it? I think you should buy a multicolored Land Rover. Yes, I can get behind that message. I can get behind that message. What is up with this car? How is it that I've seen multiple videos and pictures of your car and I've never even seen it in real life? Anyone know? Wow, got real quiet in this room. Anybody? Listen, uh, we follow an ethos here called ABB, which means always be branding. And so I wanted, to, I had an Escalade for, this is not a podcast about me. I had an, es I had an Escalade for 12 years. And then we started the business and all the time we're doing all these other things, right? And uh, it's like, you know what? I what, need are you, to, what are you doing? What kind of other stuff? <clears throat> I can't talk about it. Oh, but okay. we had to upgrade. <laughs> we wanted to upgrade oh. the car. So you is know. your advice for everyone watching that they should get a Land Rover? No. It oh, is, 
It's not. Or you can get. Oh, I can't. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, no, no, I, I no. wish I could. This, this became my podcast. No, I got some questions for you, Ryan. I will tell you off camera. Um, there is strong financial advice that I think you can give about it, but just not, not Anki. Sorry, guys. Wow, that was a really satisfying <laughs> answer. Thanks, sorry, Ryan. Sorry. Anyway, always be branding. Just, so I got a, I got a white, a white uh, long wheelbase, which means it's got the three rows Look at uh, the excitement. Range Rover. Tell us more. And so um, then I had it wrapped in Sirhan Blue. Anyway, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> so don't do that. If you've saved up money your whole life, don't go oh get a Range God. Rover and wrap it. Okay, that was amazing. Thank you. Okay. What should you do with your money? Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people would be surprised. They think some finance guy's going to come on and start, save your money and cut back yeah, on Put lattes. it into the S&P index. Yeah, well, I don't mind that. Sure. But I want people to really start off by designing their rich life. So first thing is we got to understand what is your rich life? I, it's not enough to say travel. In fact, when I ask people, what is your rich life? Well, let's just do it right now. What is your rich life? Oof. Being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Uh, that's too broad, That's dude. 100% okay, okay. of the answers I get. Hold no, on. Okay, everybody really? Is that 100%? Yeah, 100%. Okay. What do you want? So I want to do great things for the earth and being able... Oh, hold on. Let me elaborate. Being able to do great <laughs> hey, things this like... TV. Pick it I up. I want to be able to cure someone's cancer. I want to be able to fund a program that can help people do that. And I can't do that without money. You, you want to cure to, cancer and he wants a Land Rover. And wow. I want to be able to buy my mom a new here? kitchen. That's why this works so well. Yeah. There's a difference in watts on this podcast. Okay, so that's actually a great answer. Thank you. Um, I want to point out a couple things. When I ask people, what is your rich life? Literally 90% of people say, I want to do what I want, when I want. Yeah. It's the same answer. Yeah. It's kind of funny where we all pick up these certain phrases. So then I'll go, what do you want? And then they go like this. Uh, yeah. Because it, think about the irony. We spend our entire lives going to work, worrying about buying a meal, saving money, maybe investing, but we don't actually ask ourselves, what is all this for? And what a shame to spend our lives just chasing some number in a spreadsheet and not even know if it's enough, not even know what it's for. So one of the other things that I do is to ask people, what do you love spending on? Clothes from the 1930s. Yeah, vintage shoes. I do love those socks. The socks have to do with money, actually. It's a color yeah, wow. it's I put I only wear green socks to remind myself to work harder every day. Okay, wow. I respect that. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, really? So, yeah. would you say clothes are the thing you love? Uh, yeah, clothing and uh, quality time with my friends. Love it. Okay, so let's take clothes because I I have this concept called money dials, and I ask people, what do you love to spend money on? Everybody instantly knows the answer. It's intuitive. The most common answer. Anybody want to guess? Material goods, things, <laughs> house. Yeah. Nope, not a house. Darn. Car, Darn. clothes, <laughs> shoes. Food. Food. Eating out. Oh, People love it. Yeah. They love it. That's number one. Number two is travel. Okay. Number three is health and wellness. Number four is convenience, which is my money dial. And then there's a variety of other ones like mm -hmm. clothes. I also love clothes. They're one of my money dials. So now I have a second question for you. And for everyone watching and listening, try to think about what you love spending money on. Like I said, food, travel, health and wellness, those are all fine answers. If you could quadruple the amount that you spend on your money dial, which is clothes, what would it look like and feel like? Look at that smile. He's so happy right now. I love it. <laughs> I'm He's so, so glad I'm not in that tell seat us, right Tell us, tell us. Yeah. Um, no shame. It, it would probably be filling a massive bedroom of my house with every outfit I could ever wear okay. and most likely never repeating an outfit ever again. Oh, okay. I like that. So <laughs> he's a Kendall Jenner. Yeah. <laughs> he's not an outfit repeater. And can I ask you, 
would you shop at the same places? Yeah, probably because I shop. Bec- I don't shop because of brand names. I shop, mm-hmm. shop because of quality and material, mm-hmm. and that's why it tends to be vintage. Okay, so yeah. if if you were gonna buy, spend quadruple, five x, ten x, you shop at the same places. I you- had a couple more that I can't afford right now. A couple brands. A couple more quality products. Very good. Okay, great. So you'd get more. You might add some different products. Anything else? I feel like I'm on your TV show right now. <laughs> I know. Like, this is in great. the middle. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> of how to get rich on Netflix. Um, anything else? I would start crying. <laughs> I know. Leave the tears. <laughs> That's what's going to get the views. <laughs> Can I point out what's going yeah. on here? I love your answer. And it's very clear that you, you, you clearly love clothes. It's awesome. Yeah. It shows up. Um, when I ask people, what would it look like if you quadrupled your spend? Most people, they because they're talking about food, they go, I'd have to watch what I eat because I'd be eating out four times a week. Ha, ha, ha. And I go, <laughs> okay, ha, ha. <laughs> But really, it's a very linear way of thinking. That if I spend four times more, I'm just going to do the same thing four times as much. Sure. When I... When I talk about food, I go, would you eat at the same place? No, I probably wouldn't eat at Chipotle. I might eat, I might make a list of every different type of Thai cuisine and go there. And then I ask, who would you bring with you? And that's really a beautiful moment because with money, we all think about what? Uh, I want the car. I want the suit. I want this. And no problem. I love it. If that's what you love, fantastic. But at the highest level of personal finance, it's always about the who. Who am I bringing with me? Who can I be spontaneous with and surprise and be generous with? So if I'm in your chair, I happen mm-hmm. to love clothes as well. I, I, we have a different, so you like vintage. I think that's awesome. Um, for me, it would be probably um, hiring a personal stylist, right? That Well, my wife happens to be one, but that's just an example. Wow, you're I, one. I might, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I might travel to Italy and I might bring my dad with me and we both get suits made specially for us. That is a way to really turn that dial. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying you have to eat at every Michelin-starred restaurant. What I am saying is I want you to visualize what turning your money dial would look like. Because once you get this, then you understand what I mean when I say I want you to spend extravagantly on the things you love and cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. If you have a vision of buying beautiful vintage clothes, filling up a closet, I love that. And now we can talk about what in your life we want to cut back on. Right. Damn. What's something in your life that you want to cut back? I'm curious. Cut back? Cut back, yeah. He doesn't, word? The word doesn't register with him. What <laughs> do you mean? Time I spend with you. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, all right. Damn, that was, that was deep. Um, okay, let's dive into me. I have one specific. <laughs> asking for a friend. Potentially hypothetically. Okay. Um, let's say I had like $3,721 in collections that got there three years ago, hypothetically speaking. Um, should I pay that off now? I, only reason I'm asking is I've heard like, if it's been in there super long, like don't pay it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is a good question. So I don't recall the exact time where the collections get written off. Um, at three, so... You should look into that because I don't know the number right offhand. Okay. Um, and if it may be the answer that, you know, you just let it ride. But let me tell you kind of, let me broaden this out. But it affects your credit, right? Exactly. Yeah, Isn't that why I have asking. to sign for all your apartments? <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. <laughs> it's a um, fact. First off, I want to say two things. Number one. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, you can call these collections places and say, now you have to be careful because once you call them, the clock starts ticking. So there's something you'll learn as you do the research. But when you call them- It's like once you acknowledge the problem. Exactly. And so you gotta be careful, do your research before you call them. But if you do call them, depending on what the research shows, 
you can negotiate your amount in collection. So 3,700 might turn into 1,000, sometimes even less. By the way, a lot of people don't know you can negotiate your medical bills. Uh, you can negotiate, well, you can negotiate your rent. I negotiated my rent four times living in New York City in an 11-year period. Your landlord must love you. Yeah. Like I care what my landlord thinks. (laughs) That is something, oh my God, I have to talk about negotiating rent because it's one of the biggest leverage things we can do. We should talk about that. This city is crazy expensive. Well, right now you can't because the power dynamic is not in your favor. Okay. So you always have to know where you stand. Yeah, supply and demand, it's very straightforward. It's not a mystical thing where you have some magic incantation. It's all about supply and demand. The four times I could negotiate, there was a glut of supply. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to take advantage of that. On the other hand, when there was low supply, they came to me. They said, time for your rent to go up. I said, uh, can we like try to go a little bit lower? They're like, nope. And I was like, got it. Yep. It's pure supply and demand. It's not magic. It's just math. Yep. Somehow all of us, you know, we understand supply and demand with the price of eggs, we understand supply and demand with uh, prices of cars, but when it comes to real estate, we be, we go crazy. We forget that real estate is governed by the same laws. That's why in New York it's so expensive. Just hard to build stuff here. So you know better than you, anybody. So then, what do you say to people who then would they don't want confrontation? They don't want to be uncomfortable, and they end up either spending too much money, mm. or or on the flip side, they don't live their fullest life because they just they they don't know how to have money conversations. Yeah. Well, it can be uh, like a a landlord conversation. It could be a conversation with your partner. A lot of times it could be a conversation with yourself where you're not- Andy talks to himself all day long. Oh, that's actually not a joke. And you're not willing, <laughs> you might not be willing to speak to your boss and say, hey, I'd like to talk about becoming a top performer. What does it take? Because obviously I'd like for my salary to go up. Um, I would say a couple of things. Number one, I don't expect anyone to walk into a room and talk exactly like me or exactly like you. You don't have to. Everyone has their own style, but you can still be compassionate and not confrontational. You can still be direct and pleasant. Um, the second thing is I would say, what's the cost of your belief? If you're not willing to negotiate, let's say $200 a month off your rent, yeah. that's thousands of dollars. That's 5,000 bucks over two years. So is yeah. it worth it? Or third, get creative. Can you bring in somebody to help you do it? Yes. Can you have somebody make a phone call for you or email for you? Lots of different ways to do it. Most people, they're, they're not going to have this realization, and that's deeply costly to them. Yeah, I always think about it in terms of, like, what's my time worth? Like, if I could save a 1000 bucks, but I got to spend an hour yeah. to have that conversation, is it absolutely, how, how much could I make in that hour by calling prospective sellers mm-hmm. of $10 million condos in New York City that could turn into a $250,000 commission check Is it really worth that time to talk to this guy for an hour? I like that. And I like your philosophy. I followed it for a long time about why you got a car early on in your career. I think that was really smart, really unusual. Yeah, buy your time back. Yeah. And I think most of us like the idea of buying our time back more than we do actually buying our time back. Yeah, it's scary to invest without a guaranteed return. Yes. What happens if I don't make this this sale? It's scary, but ultimately that's one of the reasons that we're here yeah. is you made that bet. I, I admire that. I also think that one thing we don't really talk about is the more you spend, the more money you will waste, and that is totally normal. Yes. Let me explain. Sometimes you know you hear people talking about waste, waste. Oh my God, I don't want to wait. And it might be with government waste. It might be with personal finance waste. The more you spend, you're going to have lots of moving parts. I sometimes have something that I can't get returned in time. 
I have to eat the cost of it. So what? I'm not saying I go out and intentionally try to waste money. I'm not saying I don't have my logistics all lined up, but once in a while something slips through the cracks. That's okay. If you try to control every last penny, whether you're making 25,000 or 2.5 million, you're playing small. So yeah, you should manage your logistics, try not to waste, but the more you spend, the more complexity there is. It's okay. You're going to have a few things that get wasted. That's okay if you're focusing on the big picture getting your high leverage items. I want to say something about that. Uh, last night I was chatting with my friend who was showing me their portfolio of investment and everything. And we came to the conclusion, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I said that I believe that in the future I will be making a lot more money. So if I save $10 today, that's going to be nothing compared to when I make millions of dollars. $10 is nothing compared to a million dollars. And he was a little confused about that statement. And then I, I scrolled on TikTok and I saw Barbara Corcoran talking about this. And she was talking about how when in your youth, uh, when you're in your 20s, you should spend the money you have be able to do the things you love. Yeah. Because the money you're saving now is not going to be anything compared to how much you make in the future. Okay. Let me tell you. So first off, um, it's you're seeing Barbara Corcoran because she was one of the people who became successful. There's a lot of other people who had that same philosophy and you never hear from them again because right. they spent all their money. And they died. Oh. And, they di- and they died a gruesome death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I understand the principle, the math behind it. I get it. And I do think there is something to be said for spending money in your 20s and 30s on things you will not be able to spend on later in life. Trips with friends, backpacking, whatever it may be. Um, at the same time, I'm less concerned with the amount you save and invest. I'm more focused on the habits you build. So for example, setting up an automatic investment plan where you're investing, let's just say 10% of your income. The amount is probably not that much for people starting out their careers. But the fact is, as your income goes up, that number scales. And so if you're making, let's just say $50,000, and soon you're making 100, 150, 300, 500, whatever the number may be, and you're still doing 10%, that is a considerable amount of money. But if you suddenly decide, oh, when I'm 40, I'm going to turn on investing. Number one, you've lost massive compounding gains. Number two, it's really hard to go from zero to investing. Might as well start now with even a little bit, even 100 bucks a month, and then just turn that number up as you go. That's one of the cool things I saw or I got from the show. Like there was an episode where like the guy, he invested in DraftKings <laughs> and he like got a lot of money really fast and like never, never did anything with it. And then you made a statement basically saying that investing should be slow and boring. Yeah. It's like watching paint dry. It's not sexy. You, you want to have fun? Watch Ryan's shows. Like it's not meant to be entertaining it's meant to be boring and it's meant to be profitable. That's the point. A lot of us confuse it. We go, I got to pick stocks. I got to know, know my PE ratios. No, you don't. You should spend less than an hour a month on your personal finances because really the rich life is lived outside of the spreadsheet. What happened to your life once you wrote the book? Because I think a lot of people watching and hearing right now, because Netflix is such a massive platform, um, probably recognize you from social or from the massive TV show. But the book came out way, way, way before. Yeah, 2009. You also did YouTube really early. I remember seeing a video. It was like 13 years ago. You looked I know. a lot different. I looked bad. I left those videos because I, I want to show. <laughs> no, I want to show people like, you know, like I I shot those videos from a laptop. The angle was all wrong. I didn't know anything, and I think it's cool to see somebody progress from where they were to where they are now. Um, because you can't all start with this beautiful studio and, you know, the suit. Like, it's it's great. But I love to see people just starting off in, in whatever journey they're taking. Um, I wrote the book after writing my blog for many years. 
and yeah. I was ready. Like I was getting the same 10 questions every day. I wanted to write something where I go, here's the answers and the 10 other questions you should be asking. Got it. Wrote the book. Book did really well right out of the gate. How are you making money before the book? Uh, I had graduated from college. I had started a tech company in Silicon Valley. Okay. So I was a co-founder of a tech uh, cl online collaboration company. Right. And uh, when the book came out, I went full-time. And that transformed everything. I went on book tour to about 13 cities. And I always ask people, what do you wish I did more of? What should I do more of? What should I write more of? And they were like, hey, I love your book. I did all the automation stuff. Investing is on point. I want to know how to earn more money. And I was yeah. like, really? It wasn't that big of a topic back then. Most personal finance back then, and even today is really about cutting back on lattes and optimizing the price of asparagus. I'm like, if I have to talk about asparagus ever, I, w I took a wrong turn in life somewhere. So started showing people how to earn more consulting, how to start business, a variety of different, even negotiate your salary. And what, you know, when I was in college, I had a group of buddies. This is kind of unusual. We sat down and during job hunt season, we would compare notes on interviews. And we'd be like, what questions did you get? How did you answer? What was the response? Yeah. And like real knowledge sharing. And I felt really confident by the end I could land a job at most companies. Like I can go in today and interview and it's awesome. I'm sure you feel the same way. If you needed to interview, you could. Do you want to work here? Is that why you're here? Yeah, <laughs> you should get into selling real estate. Uh, I don't think I would be uh, very good competing. <laughs> I, I can't compete with these guys. Well, you know how to negotiate rent? Yeah, I'm yeah. on the other end. <laughs> I'm on the other side. Before we so, leave that topic though, since we're here. Yeah. Let's say my boss wasn't just sitting in that chair right there. <laughs> What's about, are we about to do a negotiation for real right now? No, it's uh, all hypothetical. How can someone negotiate their salary? All right, I'll tell you. Don't make this awkward because again, my boss is sitting right there. If this ends up generating- Everyone close your ears. If this ends up generating someone in this room, $75,000 in a raise, I don't, I'm happy for you. All right, this Taking which, notes. Most people, they walk into their boss's office and they go, I'd like to have more money. And their boss is like, and I'd like to have a Ferrari. And that's the wrong way to do it because it's all about you. And your boss does, they like you, but they don't care about all the things you want. Here's a better way. First off, you send an email to your boss. You say, you know what? I'd love to sit down and I'd love to discuss my career progression. Like Make time on the calendar. Second, <laughs> you sit down with your boss and you come in and you say, I want to be a top performer in this job. I want to know what it takes to become a top performer and to make your life easier. And we come up with a few things that would make me do an extraordinary job. And you press them because you want specific. It's not like, be nice, help drive sales. No, I want to know specific metrics. Improve website conversion, 1.3%, et cetera, et cetera. Drive 200 leads a day. And at the end, where you're going back and forth, you say, you know what? If I'm able to accomplish these things in the next six to 12 months, I'd love to discuss a compensation adjustment. But for now, let me just work on this. And your boss is going to go, oh my God. Initiative. No one, exactly. No one's ever come to me asking how to be better at their job and take things off my plate. So your boss is thrilled. You go back to your desk. You write these things down, document it, send the email. Uh, I'll report back every Friday or every second Friday. So every second Friday, this is where you actually have to do the work. You need to drive those leads, drive the sales, whatever it is. And you're reporting, hey, here's where I am. I'm behind on this. I'm ahead on this, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the time period, let's say six months, you walk in and you, this is the meeting where it's all going to go down. So first of all, I have this thing called the briefcase technique. You can look it up on YouTube. 
and you can theatrically bring in a briefcase or a bag, it's fun. Make it, make it fun. So you walk in, you say, you know what? As discussed six months ago, we talked about three metrics. You've probably been reading the emails. I'm so pleased to let you know that I've hit all three. Here's the numbers. Here were before and after. And this will result in a projected XYZ revenue. And everyone's happy. You're clapping. It's great. You say, now, then pull out that briefcase. And theatrically, slowly, you pull out three or four pieces of paper. You go, I did a little research in the marketplace. And according to salary.com, Glassdoor, et cetera, here's what somebody of my experience and skill level would be making on the open market. I'd like to discuss a compensation adjustment. Now, this is how you negotiate for a salary increase. Walking in saying, give me money, you might as well just kick yourself out. But doing the work, making your boss's life easier, showing them that you are indispensable, that makes that conversation so much easier. Now, let me pause and just see, Ryan, what do you think about that? I have no comment to this conversation. I'm just waiting for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I see just sweat. Just <laughs> He's nervous. What are you doing? Give me these people ammunition. I'll tell you what I really like about this. You can't go in and just ask for $30,000 more. Okay? You can't. You need to benchmark yourself against the market. That's the fact of the matter. But in addition to that, you can't just ask for more money because you've been there for longer, et cetera. You got to do the work. Yeah. And your boss will recognize that. Now, if your boss does not... If you're not being paid what the market should pay you, then two things. Number one, make sure you check. Are you actually accurately pulling data from these sites? And second, if they're not willing to do it, then you may want to go elsewhere. But what I find is that most people don't do any of this work in order to get a raise. And if you do it, you should be rewarded. Yeah, I think, you you know, and you think about too, right? the, The person who is paying you is paying you not what you deserve, right? They're paying you what you're worth to them. And so um, there's a big difference. And I think, like you said, a lot of employees, and I have this all the time, you know, come to me with this idea that, hey, I deserve more money. Instead of saying, hey, I'm actually worth more money, and here's why, and let me actually prove it to you. Like a NBA player, you know, they get paid tons of money, not because they deserve it. It's not because they're like, hey, I'm the best. I deserve it. It's because they're worth it to that owner of that team because of how many tickets they're going to be able to sell, the ratings on the show, you know, everything that adds up together. Yeah. And so I think if you understand kind of that, that dynamic, then you do exactly what you just said. And you come in, you prove it. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I want to get to. And actually, one of the things Adrian told me when he first started working with me, because we started just like this little, you know, one-man media team together and we started talking about what if we grow this into something much bigger and then when we start our own company we have something we'll call it studios and we'll have this whole internal media team how do how do you know how do i grow into you know not just being the guy that you know films you brushing your teeth and stuff and what he said is you know uh, be the role before you are the role mm. like if i want to be somebody who manages other content creators i'm going to do that now you don't have to pay me more because i'm going to show you that i am the role before I am the role. Amazing. And then I will prove the worth. And then you're just going to come to me and say, well, I can't lose you now because you just invented this new job that I now need. So sure, please just let's figure this out together. I love that. Very creative, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, how you're in $3,724 worth of collection debt, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's another thing. We're going to talk about that off camera. Oh, he spends all his money on finding trash, but R- that's a different story. Ryan, what is your thing you, you love spending money on? What I love spending is money. Is it convenience? Dude, I hate spending money. Not what? I do. Dude, what do you I, mean? I you, you have a driver? What are you talking about? You hate spending money. <laughs> yeah, this is a different, it's it. a different, I, I think, it, here's what I'll say. 
I don't spend nearly as much money as I think people think they do, uh-huh. as people think I do. Um, I'm very good at trades, right? What does that mean? I've really mastered like the art of the trade. Like what do you trade? Meaning- You're gonna give me an apartment for- For X, Y, or Z. Or you know, if you give me this, there's gonna be a trade. I am worth this amount in exposure Aren't you or selling value. like a $250 million apartment? Yeah, I don't trade that. Why don't you trade that and I'll help you with your finances? Okay, perfect. That That seems fair. Perfect. Seems reasonable to me. But in terms of money that I actually spend. You don't like to spend it? No, I don't, dude. I I, I feel like my life is a little bit different. Like, you know, you growing up and you guys growing up um, and talking about, well, we can't afford that. Oh, no, we can't go out there. You know, we don't have the money for that. And that definitely develops a whole mentality in your head as you grow older of, of I don't want to spend money because we've never had it before. I need to hoard it all. Mm. Um, I grew up, I grew up fine, regular family and all that. But I was it was drilled into my head that if I wanted something, I had to go make the money on my own. Mm. And then when I came to New York, I had to go make the money on my own. And I I didn't have like a nice house with my parents anymore, so I had to figure out how to make money on my own. But you made it. Yeah, but it was definitely very 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 hard. But I distinctly remember being at that that line of like I have to leave New York. I can't afford to stay here anymore. And my parents aren't gonna help me. No one's gonna help me. I don't know what to do. And never, ever, ever wanting to be in that situation ever again. Like, and I've said this before, I have been incredibly broke in New York City before, and I will run as far away Mm. from that point for the rest of my life. Mm. And it is what it is. But I I, I spend money on the business. Mm. I take everything that I have and I reinvest it into the business. Like I don't have, I'm, I'm here by myself. Like the business, I named it after myself. I pay for this. We have a building in Soho. Our staff count just crossed a hundred people on payroll. Yeah, right. We were in six. This stuff costs money. Yeah. I mean, you know how many hats he has? A lot. <laughs> every time I see him with a different hat, I'm like how he's just running the P and L calculation. Yeah, okay. I didn't even know Adrian had a name. I just thought he was a salary number. You know, most of these guys sitting <laughs> he here, was I'm like invoice seven four seven. Oh no, no, I know. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. I, I will say that's interesting. So you like trades? You don't like spending money, it goes all back into the business. Is there a day where running from being poor in New York stops and you start Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was gonna stop a long time ago. Yeah. I've been waiting for it to stop That's for quite some time. usually how it is. Um, but it, but it, never, yeah, it never goes, it never really goes away, you know? And I, I've, I've talked, listen, I, my clients are the successful ones. Mm-hmm. They're the ones on the Forbes list, Oh, you're right? pretty successful. Not me, yeah, but I don't, I don't have $12 billion, oh, you okay. know? That's how we're the number. That's what we're comparing well, ourselves to. Or $110 billion. Oh, I'm, I'm just so middle class. <laughs> I don't have $12 billion. <laughs> Dude, I, I, listen, I, you are a product of your environment, right? And so I happen to sell expensive real estate in New York City where my clients are, are, are centimillionaires and billionaires. Yeah. And so I'm surrounded by that level of success and I use it. I ask them questions. All the, I'm, like the, I'm like their annoying like kid. Because, and, and their kids don't ask them any of those questions because mm. they're born into a life of luxury. Whereas for me, I'm like, hey, hey, I, I wasn't supposed to listen to that conference call you just had in the back of the, the car, but I heard what you said. And can I ask you that question? That's cool. How do, you, how do you do that? And you set this up and it's 10 year money. You don't have to pay those people back for, is that how private equity works? That's so interesting. And so a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from just being that annoying kid. And I think that's why a lot of my clients stick with me because they, they, they kind of look at me as like a, a kid that, that has now grown up around them. Well, I think it's very attractive that you are so successful, but still so curious. And I think that is unusual. I think it's really cool. And I, I'm not surprised that people who have, let's say a ton of money yeah. are attracted to that. Yeah. I think it's a very cool quality. Yeah, I sold a house in Palm Beach for $130 million in 24 hours. And all I cared about in that moment 
was as we were doing the deal, um, so I was like, can I, can I ask you for one more thing to the buyer? He's like, shoot, I was like, can I just ask you some questions for 10 minutes? And just, I just have questions about yeah. like your life and your business and how you got to the point where you could do this. And I just talked to him about the deals that he does in China and Middle East and how he built his business and how he was a food stamp kid in Oregon and how you make that jump from there to there. That 10 minutes was worth so much more to me than that commission yeah. by far. You know, and it's easy to say that because I also got the commission, but um, it was like invaluable because he would never do that for, you could call him, you know what I mean? Like to get that, to get in that room with somebody like that goes such, such, such a long way, which is in part kind of like why we like doing this podcast and why like, I'm so appreciative of all the work you do, you know, and people will probably say like, why do you do this, man? Why do you like, why do you give back? Because it is so hard for most people to be, I'll steal from Hamilton to be in the room where it happens, to to like really hear the conversations and, and learn from it. And Diego and I were just talking. Like seventy five percent of American teens say that they are have they have a complete lack of confidence when it comes to financial literacy. Yeah, right. My, and my, that is it's so confusing. Insane. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. And uh, I think if there's one thing the popularity of the show on Netflix has shown is we crave someone to tell us the truth. And that's what I always do. I call out the scams. I call out companies by name. I tell them, yeah. like, do not use these banks. They suck. They're yeah, predators. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, that's life. Because I wish someone had told me that about areas of life that I wasn't sure. Yeah, dude. Yeah. How do you get your own Netflix show? So New York <laughs> Times bestseller in 2009, that was 13 years ago. Yeah. Now in 2023, this show comes out and all of a sudden, Netflix has a financial like wealth advice show. Like, what? <laughs> well, I've never seen this before. And so it's one of one, which makes it exclusive. And it's like this amazing piece of content. How, how, does, that, how does that even happen? Uh, they called, they emailed me. And they said- uh, Like Reed Hastings just shot you a note, like a DM. <laughs> you know what's funny? It was, it was someone from, from uh, one of their teams. And it said something about Netflix in the subject line. And- I didn't believe it was from them. I thought it was some, you know, like production yeah, like company sourcing. or yeah, some. Yeah, yeah. And so I clicked the from part of the email to see, and it said at netflix.com. And I was like, what the hell? The only Netflix emails I get are what's coming out on Friday. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, is, this, is, this is insane. And then I showed it to my wife. When, when did this, when did this email come to you? This is 2020 during COVID. Okay. Oh, wow. And um, money was on the brain then. That's so funny. There were networks that were hunting for a money show. I yeah. know that. And when they came to me, I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I've never, I never woke up in the morning and said, I want to be on TV. I'm an internet guy. I love the internet. I understand it. And you have a huge business. Yeah. Right? I, uh, yes. And I get how it works. I've done a little bit of TV, but never like this. So it was scary because I knew that once you do something like this, you lose control. And at least that's how I saw it. Yeah. There's editors and there are all these people. Yeah, and yeah. At that point, I ran the show. I was CEO. So anyway, I, I, I turned to my wife and she was really excited. And she said, do you want to do it? And I remember saying, I don't know, but I think I might be ready for something like this. Wow. Like I had done the book and I had done the internet stuff. And just to stretch myself, you know, if you're growing, you always want to grow in different ways. And got on the call and I, Netflix was very complimentary. They, they knew about me. 
And they told me, they were like, yeah, we pa- somebody in our team passes your book around. I said, let me stop you right there. Whatever deal we were about to do, the price just quadrupled. Yeah. They were like, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, I'm not <laughs> kidding though. And so we started talking and I told them, look, I'd love to do something, but I don't want to go to some couple and look at their Safeway receipt and tell them they're spending too much on asparagus. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And they were like, we don't want that. We want you. And they, they were true to that. They gave me broad creative control. I'm an EP on the show and the team was amazing. So that's how it started. Got it. And you shot it in 22 or 21? 22. Got it. Yeah. It was going slow on the development side. Uh, There was like contract stuff, COVID stuff, but I was in no rush because I was like, take all the time you need. More time for me to get in shape. More time for me to fix my website. take, Take all the time you need. I was like loving it. And then- and, and, you know, as you know, once you start shooting something, it is fully intense. No, I know. I know. I did not anticipate that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all consuming. How, how has your life changed since the show came out? And, 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 and has it? Because when Millionaire Listening Season 1 first came out for me in 2012, I sat by the phone and was like, here we go. I was just on national television around the world and no one called. Not a single person picked up the phone was like, that guy on TV, the first interaction with a fan was like on the subway where someone's like, you're not funny. Wait, that that's amazing. Okay. It was like, it was, I was like, oh God, I don't know why I did this. But in Over retrospect, time, yeah. yeah. Okay, I had the same experience. I wrote a post on how to buy an engagement ring because I bought an engagement ring for my wife many years ago and I like was dialed in on how to do it and, and all this stuff. And I wrote this post. It took me like four months to write. I got reviewers. I had all this stuff. And I even told my team, everybody stand by because we're about to post it. Like, I hope the website can handle the traffic. By the way, this wasn't that long ago. I had been <laughs> running my business for like 13 years at the time. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody wants to Oof. read about an engagement ring until the one month that they're buying yeah, exactly. it and then they just don't care. So- uh, w- with the show, I would say it's definitely changed my life. Um, just before coming here, I was having coffee with a friend yeah. and people are coming up while I'm doing it. Hey, how are you? Love your show. So that's very flattering. Super nice. Um, opportunities have come. I've always been pretty grounded. Like I like what I do and then I like saying no. Yeah. So I- I've built that skill. Um, I feel pretty comfortable with that. Do you want to keep doing it? I like TV. Oh, I okay. liked the ability the to reach now. people. Yeah. The bug. I, I like walking around in the Lower East Side and people are coming up to me and people have always, you know, since I started doing videos many years ago, people come up, but now it's more and it's also super diverse. Yeah. The type of people that come up, I'm like, wow. They would have never been reading or watching my stuff just on my site. Sure. But as you know, TV brings you to a whole different audience. Yeah, yeah. massive. Mm-hmm. And Netflix is around the world. Yeah, 190 on one countries on one day. It's insane. Did you used to respond to DMs? For the Netflix show? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. It's, it's so weird. weird. I, Dude, I you actually, just jumped I actually like respond this. to every DM. It's so weird that I didn't respond to yours. Weird. Sorry I didn't tell you you were coming on to sit next to a groupie. You know? <laughs> I'm not. I'm no, not, you know what? I, better, I do appreciate you um, <laughs> sending that. I, I don't go up to celebrities when I see them, ever. What am I going to say to them? Oh, I'm such a fan. There's only one person I ever went up to. Uh, we were at a burger thing. And you know Marcus Limonis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I love, I love it. Yeah, like he's cool. And I, I was like, oh my God, it's Marcus Lomotis. And I was like, walking right by. My wife is like, stop. You need to go up and say hello and take a picture. And so I was like, huh? And yeah. I went and I literally turned into a total fan. I was like, I love your show. I'm such a fan. Can we take a picture? And so for that reason, I Let's understand go. anyone who comes up to me or sends me a DM or, or comes up to you, 
that takes a lot of courage, you know? And I yeah, totally appreciate it. it. I have one more question before we wrap up. Sure. Do you whiten your teeth? They're I do. Very, very beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. I'll, I'll, I really, that's very unexpected. <laughs> yes, yes yeah. I do. What that's is this? And thank you. God bless these Clark. lights in this room today. Thank you. What do you do to whiten your teeth? I just go to a dentist. Oh, okay. That's a trick. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get a Netflix show. Andy, you need to start seeing <laughs> a dentist. God. Oh, man. I can tell you I've never gotten that question ever. I love it. <laughs> that's the one way to wrap up the show. He goes, he goes I got one, one last question. One I'm last like, what question. is it? Asset allocation? Well, what are we talking about? Compound interest? I was trying to find the entire hour a way to ask you that question without it being random. <laughs> that, that wasn't was successful. <laughs> all right. Ramit Sethi, thank you so much. Thank Sir, you. you've all taught us how to get rich, what the definition of rich is. This has been super, super awesome. We really appreciate the time. And we'll see you all in the next episode of Business of Influence. We're out.